I'm Jane, a compulsive overeater. Um, yeah, I always say yesterday, today, tomorrow, and always, and I'm really thrilled to be an overeater, um, mainly because I now know who I am. You know, my whole life, I didn't know who I was. And I'm going to start with um, what it was like, what happened, and then what it's like now. So what it was like as a kid, um, my mother married a step monster. So um, I don't need to go into any details about that. But because of that, um, I was kind of stunted in growth, you know, in, in a way, um, hiding, um, always running, always hiding, you know, everything was dangerous, you know, the cortisol and everything running through fight or flight, you know, and all those things. And um, I didn't know who I was because I never had permission to be who I was um, as a kid that stopped in the third grade. Um, so I was always trying to mimic or, you know, um, copy all the popular girls. And I was, you know, I had the, I can't even say I had the lowest self-image. I didn't have a self-image, you know, because I had to witness a lot of things that happened with my sister. I had to witness a lot of things that happened with my brother and my mom. And, um, and it was, you know, I just, I was just hiding from everybody, you know? Um, and that kind of, you know, took me through my twenties and into my thirties. Um, my daughter is 25, going to be 26 in August. Her name's Olivia. And she is, um, the jewel of my life. She is just absolutely amazing, um, strong and, and, you know, independent and all the things that I wished I could have been, you know, um, and maybe I was. Because here's the thing, when I talk to people about what it was like, I've had friends that have, you know, visited with me from in grade school and whatnot. They have a very different opinion of who I was than, than I do. And so it always shocks me when somebody says, oh, you were so great at this, or oh, we just loved when you did this. And I just thought I was a pile of shit. I'm sorry to say that. <laughs> That's just what I thought I was most of my life. And I hated myself. I just couldn't understand why I couldn't keep up with anybody why I didn't understand the context in which people were talking um, because there was always that uh, boardroom in my head, you know, and the, the, the mean people, the mean girls in my head. Um, and I, I would try to get them out of my head. You know, I went to counseling every, pretty much every decade. So um, first time I went to counseling, this darling little lady at a um, um, St. Philip's church in Portland, Oregon, um, she welcomed me in and it was a sliding scale fee because I was broke, you know, it was a, fairly well I was young because I got married at like 22 I don't even like to to say that but I had a minute rice wedding uh we got married uh, we were going together for two years we were married for four months so I had a minute rice wedding and um I thought that I was going to counseling to get over um my marriage ending you know it's a typical you know cheating that kind of a thing and so I thought, I thought that's why I was going well it turns out I wasn't <laughs> because when I got in there um, this darling lady with, you know, little um, cankles and little, you know, uh, hose, support hose falling down and her, her comfortable shoes. She was one of the nuns. She was lovely. I came in and sat down and I thought, you know, as I always did, I got this. I know I had an agenda. I was off fantasizing in the future my entire life up to that point. And so it was always about the end result and not what I was going through, not the journey. Um, and of course, those end results never turned out the way I wanted them to. Um, so she sat me down and then we just had a little chit chat. And then she stood up and she started drawing a family tree on the um, on the chalkboard, old chalkboard. And she said, well, OK, here's your mom and your dad and, you know, extended relatives and everything. 
And she said, I see your mom and dad got married or got divorced when you were about six. And um, I see your dad remarried four times. <laughs> My dad was just, he had the biggest part in the world. And he just loved people and loved a lot of wives too. But he was lovely. And all the wives loved each other. That's the funny part. Um, but, you know, she started drawing my mom's side of the family. And she said, so your mom never remarried. And apparently, I kind of went white, is what she had said. And um, I, I didn't know, I, I guess I was screaming. She said I was screaming for quite some time. This is really before, you know, um, 911, probably right at the you know, conception by 911. So it wasn't like she was going to run to the phone and call 911 and say, I got a crazy screaming client in my office. You know, she was just trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And once I stopped screaming, because I am not a screamer, it was guttural. It was from, you know, the feet up. And um, once I stopped screaming, she looked at me and she said, you're not here because you're getting a divorce. She said, you're here because I think you were abused as a kid. And of course, that was news to me. Now, the weird thing is when you grew up in the same family, my sister and I, totally different experiences. She remembers everything. I remember nothing. So she had this lovely lady handed me this really thick book and sent me on my way. I wasn't going to read that book. I went back and I called my sister and I said, what the hell happened when we were kids? And she said, look, and this is, I will never forget this for the rest of my life. She said, I will always talk about you and I'll always answer any questions you have, you know, anything, anything I can remember, Janie, I'll help you. But she said, never ask me anything about my experience. Never ask me anything about what happened to me. And so I was left with this, this void, you know? And so I go through the next couple of decades with um, still kind of not knowing who I am. And so that's where it came from. And what happened? Um, my daughter's father, uh, we eventually divorced. Nice man, very nice man. We love each other, love his wife, you know, love all that. But um, we were just not meant to be together. And um, we were... I guess it was after I had my daughter. Um, we were sitting in a in a dark room um, watching the big, uh, this will tell you how long ago it was, the big um, oh, screen projector boxes, you know, that it was before TiVo, it was before all that, right? And um, we're watching it and I turned to him and I said, I want you to go to the store. We have a 7-Eleven down the street and I want you to get me a Hostess cupcake. I'm sorry, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, I want you to get me this particular item. And he said, okay. Well, you know, he was an um, alcoholic. Um, he had been a not practicing alcoholic, but also not in treatment the whole time we've been together. And so he, but I didn't realize he was a food addict. I, I didn't get that piece of it, right? I was just so, you know, in love and, you know, all of being a new mom and all that. So um, he went to the store and he came back and he had this, this sack. And you don't usually bring a sack home when you come from a convenience store. It's usually a bottle of pop or, some, you know, whatever, just a small item, right? this huge sack full of stuff. I looked in that sack. I literally tore the top of it off and I was mad. It's like, he didn't get what I wanted. It's not in there, is it? Well, it turned out it was at the bottom under all of his stuff, you know, the heavy candy and you know all that stuff. But I was like, you didn't get it. But when I unmarried it and I looked at it, this is the memory it triggered. Um, when I was a kid, if I had that particular item, that meant that and it was on the table as an after-school snack. That meant that I was safe, that my mom was home because she's the only one who ever gave us an after-school snack. Um, so that meant she was home. If I looked in the in the back door and I didn't see anything on the table, I turned and ran to you know the nearest teacher I could find because I only lived 
on the back side of the school. I'd help out in the office. I'd do all these things. So um, that's how my my eating disorder really started was I, I started by my ritual. I didn't even know I had a ritual, right? It's in the back of my head. I peeled a piece off and another piece, another piece. I literally ate it and had this, this warm, fuzzy, like, oh, this great feeling come over me. Well, here's the thing. My marriage was in trouble. He was very depressed. Um, I was starting to gain weight. I had been at that time in a marathon training group for Portland Marathon. Um, I think I had actually walked almost the whole marathon. But right before the marathon day, I dropped out. I went to you know congratulate my friends as they went across the finish line, but I dropped out. As I had done with every other thing in my life, it, great jobs that I had, you know, wonderful people. I dropped out. I left you know, all of these different things. And um, so I started eating and I just, I stopped weighing at 265. Um, and I just can't even imagine how it was for my daughter to live with this, you know, mom who completely changed. I mean, I was not the same mom size wise that I was for her first five or so years, four or so years. Um, we went to a uh, family retreat with our church and I'll never forget, she was calling me on her cell phone. We had cell phones in, and, and she called me on her cell phone. She said, Mom, where are you? I said, Olivia, turn around. I'm, I'm right here. And she looked at me, and she said, Mom, I never realized you were that fat, right? She literally didn't recognize me in the crowd because I had lost 110 pounds at that point. Well, um, I had gotten drawn into I had got, thank you. I got drawn into a commercial diet and I also um, got pulled into um, Overuse Anonymous at a local church. And um, it was, it was amazing that um, my dad talked me into it. Okay. My dad was always overweight. They had heart problems in their family. He talked me into going to OA because um, we were both in Weight Watchers. And then he didn't know that I was kind of going down the road to this other quick fix diet. Right. And um, so he said, he literally talked to me on the phone while I was walking into the church, he's like, Janie, come on. I know you can do this. Come on. just." And he could literally talk to me on the phone until I got to the door and somebody nice opened it up and welcomed me in and he hung up. And um, so I went to that group for about a year. And then I tried another group in another town. Um, during that time, I was also on a commercial diet. I was a full-time student or uh, half-time student, uh, full-time employee, full-time single mom. Got a lot going on. And that is... Um, really going to bring us to what it's like now because now I have um, a small business that I started I'm working full-time um, I have a, a sweetheart which I haven't had in years you know I've been living by myself for the first time the last three and a half years I never lived alone before and um, but what I've learned in the last two years um, you know Mary Sue said it wonderfully because we did meet almost off the bat when I when I started and um, the three of us were very connected and it was just wonderful. Um, and so I, I didn't know when I started at Skibby, um, April 22nd would be my um, second year of abstinence. And um, I didn't know when I came into Skibby, I didn't know how much weight I had gained because I didn't know on a scale. I just knew I was uncomfortable. Um, so I had a 12 year break period between losing 110 pounds and, and coming in back into the rooms. Um, and so look at my timer here because I'm timing myself too, because I get nervous. Okay. Um, so, um, I didn't know really what had happened. I had never looked at myself in the mirror. Seriously, honest to God, I'd never looked at myself in the mirror until that first night when I was in my apartment and I was alone with my daughter 
feeling like the biggest failure ever. And I caught a glimpse of myself without any clothes on coming from the shower. And I just sat down on the floor and cried. And I just said, God, I can't live like this anymore. Well, then my friends scooped me up into this commercial diet and off we go. And I got down to a size four. Well, some, somewhere in that 12 years, I put on, I don't know, 60 pounds-ish, 70 pounds I don't know, not the whole thing, but but quite a bit. And it was a little bit every year. And it, it was based on, you know, whatever relationship I was in or whatever job I had or, you know, just going to school or, you know, whatever. And um, now, sitting in this chair right now, um, this has been the most amazing two years of my life. I mean, the most amazing. February uh, before the April two years ago, that's when I started. And I couldn't imagine when I came into these rooms who I would meet, what direction I would go. I figured it would just be, you know, um, it just like everything else, a fail. You know, like all my pay and ways, like, like the last time I walked out of the two different groups of OA, I just had had cotton in my ears all these years, especially in the early days when I was in the meetings, literally had cotton in my ears. I did not hear a dang thing anybody said because I was too much in my own head. I was too much telling myself, you know, this is, I, I had to keep up with everybody, you know, whether I charge everything on credit cards to have the right car, the right clothes, whatever. I had to keep up with everybody. And I was cracking when I came back that February. My um, stepdad was was passing of cancer. And I moved over to Vancouver from Portland, Oregon, which is about a, you know, 20 miles or whatever. Um, I moved over here to help take care of him and get him through hospice and walk him to Jesus and drop him off. And, you know, then everything would be okay, right? Um, well, not quite. I moved over here and I was just in shock. It was right when the pandemic started, um, trying to rent an apartment. And it, it just, everything was just kind of crazy at that time. And one thing I left out is that um, my third and final husband was a narcissistic asshole. It's one form of abuse that I had never encountered before. I'd encountered all kinds of other abuse, but I had never encountered a crafty, scheming, you know, narcissistic liar of a person. I had never in my life um, experienced that. And we got sucked in really quick. And so my daughter, my daughter was the one who came to me. Sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit, but she came to me um, and she whispered in my ear and she said, Mama, I can't live like this and, and you shouldn't either. I'm leaving. And that was when she was about 19, almost 20. And you want to talk about my heart cracking in two. She was my whole world and she was leaving. She was going to live with her dad. I had a majorly failed. Um, but by the time I got back to OA, Olivia and I realized that it was the best thing that could have happened to both of us. Um, she she grew up with a mom who was um, very helicopterish, very clingy, um, and her dad and his wife were not that way. And so his dad's wife used to tease me and say, you know, I'll be the bitchy mom, you be the nice mom. And, you know, so when she went down to New Mexico to live with her dad and his wife, she grew leaps and bounds. When I was living on my own for the first time ever in my life, I grew leaps and bounds. But it really didn't get reflected until I came to the rooms because I still didn't know how to process, didn't know how to grieve. You know, so my, my stepdad passed, you know, he was safe. My mom had passed, you know, everybody's passed. I'm the only one left in the Northwest of my family. My brother's in California, my sister's in Nevada. And so it just feels weird. I almost feel like an orphan, but you all scooped me up and accepted me, you know, no matter what. And it was the most amazing feeling. And it, it just, it grew little by little, by little, by little until April 22nd. And 
I was just like, okay, I'm ready to do this. So um, I had lost um, almost 60 pounds in the program. Um, but right now, and I told, told Mary Sue this, and so I'm nervous about this because I'm in the middle of a small relapse right now. Okay, so I lost about 60 pounds. I put on back about 12. It's really hard to say. It hurts my heart. Um, but, you know, I just have to realize that all the success that I had um, doesn't go away. And I used to think that, you know, it always went away, that I was a failure and I was never going to get out of this. And I was always going to go back to, you know, the way I was. Well, that wasn't, that isn't how I feel now. You know, um, I love myself. And I love spending time with myself. And yeah, I've been dipping in, you know, to my red light foods and and I know it's time to stop. And I know that I've been um, talking with my sponsor recently and um, I've, I've dusted off my books and I'm ready to, to really get back to, you know, I've cleaned off my patio so my grill is ready. So, you know, protein and vegetables. Went to the store with my sweetheart tonight, got protein and vegetables and I'm gonna be cooking ahead. And doing all the things that I know are good for me, um, it's not easy. It never is easy. And that's the part that shocks me is that I, I keep thinking when I get to this point, when I get to this certain point, I'm going to get it and it's going to be easy and it will never be hard anymore. And one of my best friends said to me the other day, it's the easy parts that I hate. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I hate those easy parts because I forget, not that I want to struggle necessarily, but I forget the lessons. And I remember I heard um, a couple weeks ago in a meeting, um, who moved, you or God? Well, clearly, God didn't move. So I moved. I moved away from the principles that, that you all had had taught me the last two years. And two um, thank you. It's embarrassing, but it's also really re rewarding to be able to say out loud, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, um, I'm now swinging into different size between a different size here and a different size here. And it's a little frustrating, but, you know, it'll it'll happen again. It, it is happening. I see it. That's what it. it is happening. It's not going to happen again. It is happening. And there's one thing I'm going to end with. Um, right before I came back to the rooms, I was at a Pinterest fair up in Seattle with a friend. And I went by this booth and I was attracted to this particular bracelet. I don't know if you can see it. You can't read the words, but you kind of see what it looks like. I was attracted to this particular bracelet and I didn't know why I was buying it. It has a serenity prayer on it. I bought it, wore it, might've been right about the time I got into recovery. Maybe that's why I recognize the serenity prayer. But here's the thing. I didn't realize it until I was about six months in that this is a spoon. And it's, it's you know, the, the metaphor of having a, you know, a recycled spoon turn into um the best gift I've ever been given. This thing is so hammered and so, um, what do you call it? Bettined, uh, I guess is what you'd say. So bettined. And I've been looking for this lady for a long time because I wanted to get another one. But how weird is that? I mean, there are you know no mistakes in God's world. I saw this. I found you. Here I am. Thank you, Mary Sue, so much for inviting me to speak tonight. And I'm just so glad and so feel so lucky that I get to be here with all of you. I haven't seen Barbara in forever, you know? So it's just Carla. I mean, it's just so nice and Ada to see all you guys. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you for letting me be of service. Oh, thank you, Jane. Oh my gosh. What an incredible story. Um, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> We're, our stories may be a little different, but boy, do we have a lot of, all of us 
have threads that run together and just so many things that are in common. Okay, we are now for up to our uh, Q&A for Jane. So if you'd like to ask Tinkerbell, excuse me. Uh, if you'd like to ask Jane a question, um, please just raise your hand. I'll call on you. And guys, I'm on my phone. So um, Barbara and Anne are so good to help me. But if I, if I don't see your hand, please let me know because it's certainly not intentional. Okay. Oh, looks like I'm up. Okay. You go. Oh, well, Jane, I was so, I was so, first of all, I've always loved um, seeing you in meetings, which we haven't been going to the same meetings for a long time now. And I've always gotten so much out of your share. So I'm, I'm really happy to see you tonight and really blessed by your share tonight. So thank you so much for being so vulnerable with us. And I really appreciate someone sharing when they're in relapse or downtime because it, you know, we're all human and we all, we all need to, to know that, oh, somebody else is in the trenches with us, you know, the trenches. Uh, so my specific question to you is, um, can you think of some of the, the gems or the principles or the things that you go to a lot? What are your go-to, like you mentioned your bracelet, like that's a really special one for you. Do you have any other kind of tidbits that are things that you use to help guide you? Let me find it. Hang on. That's a good question. I don't know if I can find it. Hang on for a second. It's right here. Or not. Nope, here it is. Sorry, lady. It doesn't have to be a physical thing, but just, no, you know. just it was right here. And those of you who know me know that I'm a sticky note queen. <laughs> These sticky notes are everything from the first two years. Every little nugget. Things wow. that Carol said, things that Ada said, things that you said, things that Mary Sue said, and Sherry. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's probably over 200 in here and I have another box full of them. <laughs> and so when I get frustrated or sad, I will go to this box and I always write everybody's name on there. So, you know, it was Daryl or Stan or somebody from our morning meeting or Sherry or, you know, whoever said it, I will put their name on there. So then I'm thinking about them in the journey oh. when I look right here. I, I have a question. I was wondering, um, like, like I had um, incidents in college where, like, I went to reign, like, with uh, an older person, like, an older authority figure when I was in school, and then, like, I went to therapy. But um, do you know anything about um, bulimia nervosa and heart disease? Did anybody experience that? Because I'm taking Lavaza now mm -hmm. and going through a stress test in my 40s, later 40s. Oh, I'm so glad you're doing that, Diana. That is such good self-care. I'm really proud of you. Um, I don't really, you know, mine was more of a, you know, binge eating. Um, my sister was the anorexic. She was 82 pounds and five, eight and a half in her senior year of high school. Um, so, but we didn't know anything in the um, early, late seventies, early eighties about um, much about anorexia and that kind of a thing. So I don't have an answer for you. I'm sorry. All right, thank you. Mine's like binge any like eating in the evening, and then I recently saw she said, and it was very like interesting of how people like would give scholarships in the mid nineties. That was my uh, personal like problem. Like I have a university degree, but I'm in uh, disability, and and so it's just a lot of problems. Those like like scholarships some of our schools would give out, and well, we'll see about it when you graduate and the loans come out. 
So it's just, just a horrible process of rain, rainbow amounts. So oh, thank you. That is tough. I still have a ton. I graduated in 2016. Yeah. In my 50s. And oh, yeah, it's ugly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Looks like Mandy gives up. Hello, ladies. Hello. I have missed you. My name is Mandy, and I am a compulsive overeater. Uh, Diana, if you want to stay after, I can talk to you about bulimia nervosa and, and heart disease and the effects that it has on the heart, if you'd like to discuss that with me later. I am a, also a registered nurse. Thank you. So, okay. Okay. Um, anybody else have a question for Jane? Jane, I'm going to ask you to tell oh, one. It looks like, that's okay. It looks like Ann may have a question. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Hey guys, Ann H. Compulsive Overeater. Um, thank you so much, Jane, um, for the truth. You know, that um, working the 12 steps is a commitment. It's every day. There's ups and downs. The waves go in, the waves go out. And some people have relapse in their, um, you know, along the way. Um, it was really impressive to me when you said, I am thrilled to be an overeater. How did you go from <clears throat> this, I'm a pol quote, I'm a polish shit to this is the biggest asset in my life. That is, you know, that's uh, a very big pendulum swing. And I would love to hear about that process. Thank you. Thank you for your question. And I'm a lot like the cat on the poster, you know, the old cat that's hanging in there. Um, it's been four decades of therapy. It's been four decades of, of different kinds of therapy. And I literally, um, about once a year, I'll dial up mental health and I'll specifically ask for a certain kind of counselor because um, abuse and trauma doesn't come um, in, in, in a nice uh, linear fashion. It's like this all the time. And so I never know, you know, from year to year, what's going to be the issue. You know, and so if I don't know what the issue is, then again, I'm just kind of spinning. And so um, one of the issues that I uncovered after I got out of the food fog was I realized that I'm a neurodivergent thinker, that I have um, ADHD. I did not know that. I'm uh, 57. I figured this out when I was 56. And the reason I figured it out was because I had this lovely coworker who was 36 and a counselor in mental health. And we were talking one day and she said um, something and I was trying to furiously write it down. And I said, I I said, I can't, I can't keep up with you. My ADHD, I can't just stop or my ADD. I was always my own biggest joke. Anything that I thought was wrong with me, it was just, it was a joke. Like, ha ha, why would I go get that looked at? Or ha ha, I know my daughter has it, but you know. So once I connected to the fact that I, um, I think differently and that's why I wasn't fitting in. I always thought it was, you know, a hundred other things. Um, it was, it was internal. So then I was able to get with a doctor prescribed medicine for ADHD, 
it's not perfect, just like program. Um, I'll go for a week or two sometimes without taking it because either I've run out or, you know, whatever. But being on the medication and being able to think clearly without the food and without the, um, you know, trying to keep up with everybody else, I fell in love with myself. It was the first time I had ever, ever taken care of myself. And that was a huge step. So um, those two things being uncovered, I just thought, you know, I'm kind of fun. <laughs> kind of fun. And I never would have said that before. I've been totally embarrassed. Does that answer your question? It must have. <laughs> that was a great answer, Jane. Um, anybody else got a question for Jane? Carla. Oh, Carla, yes. Well, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to say that and thank you so much for your share. And it is so good to see you. Oh, my gosh, Jane. <laughs> No, um, no, I can really relate to the, I, you've gained some weight. I've gained some weight too, and I've done it abstinently. So what's, what the hell's up with that? But I did change my abstinence um, at some point last year. You know, it was no sugar and no white flour. Well, my sponsor eats white flour. So, you know, we agreed that I could try it out. So I guess that failed. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm, I'm going back to not, but, you know, I'm one of those, and one of my defects, and I keep working on this, is not taking care of myself. So, you know, when my mom broke her leg, broke her, broke her uh, hip um, in January of last year, and then my dad was in and out of the hospital like he always is. And, you know, I get consumed by these other things. And we decided to put our house on the market. And then my mom ended up with, you know, terminal cancer in August and then passed away in October. And my dad was destabilized by, so there was like one thing after another, and I really wasn't paying attention to my weight. So now I have, um, I did have to go back in and tighten up what my food plan was. And, you know, it is funny that, you know, and I'm not going to be down on myself for that. I'm not going to judge myself for that. It just is what it is. And it's something that I realize is a problem that I need to take care of now. So, you know, back in the day, I let it go to, you know, you know I started at 222, 222 pounds. The next time my high was 333. If I let it go this time, it's going to be 444. I'm pretty sure. So I just don't want to take that chance. So anyway, um, thanks for being transparent about that. Because it is, you know, I really feel like our, our slips and trips really teach us something. You know, and it, it brings us back to, you know, are you going to, are you going to really take care of yourself or are you going to let yourself go again? So um, we're learning love for ourselves in this program. And, you know, that, that gives me so much hope that, that I can turn things around and I am down six pounds. So, you know, so far so good. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Carla, so much. Um, I do want to add that for about seven months, I have weighed the same weight. That has never happened in my entire life. I've always been up or down. So that's not including this little uh, this little spell I've been going through. But prior to this um, relapse, this, this uh, recent relapse, I weighed the same for seven, nine months. That's a miracle. That wow. is a miracle. I wasn't going up and I wasn't going down. 
So that was wild. I'm back to have everybody here. It's amazing. Uh-huh.